As we approach the Rebbe's birthday, I want to share with you an incredible story about the Rebbe. And uh, this story is printed in, the, in a book called uh, My Story, Volume 2, by uh, Jem. And this book, they have the account of many, many people and their audience with, audiences with the Rebbe. As a woman whose name is Devorah Klar, she is a emissary of the Rebbe in West Orange in, in uh, New Jersey. And uh, she, her parents were Holocaust survivors. And she studied in Chabad schools, in elementary school, in high school, and in seminary in France. But by the time she had turned 21, she wasn't really into Jewish stuff. Uh, she had been in a kibbutz in Israel for two years. And during the time of the kibbutz, she, her Judaism sort of waned. And she became more of a universalist than anything else. And she decided she wanted to go to John Hopkins University in Queens. And she wanted to study criminology. But her parents wanted her to visit the Rebbe and ask that for advice. And she did not want to take the Rebbe's advice because she was certain that the Rebbe would tell her to, to become a teacher. And she said, quoting her words, she would rather beg in the street than become a teacher. Anything but becoming a teacher. That was what she was thinking. I'd rather beg in the street than become a teacher. And therefore, she was studying in this university. But she became very quickly disillusioned with the university because when she came to the university... Uh, there were her first class. She felt that the the professor was more interested in joking around than teaching anything. The second class was in criminology, but it was a very dry subject. The third class in John Hopkins, it's mandatory to study religion. So having a priest, a galach, and the whole uh, she wasn't into religion at all, and much more so she wasn't in the into Christianity. And having to listen to, to this Christian's priest talk to her about. Um, Christianity really wasn't something she was interested in. So she really didn't know what to do. So she asked her other, her uncle, Rabbi Yankel Egghaus, if perhaps he could arrange for her to get advice from the Rebbe. And this time again, she wasn't religious at all. So she was 22 years old, and she was seeing her savings de- depleting, depleting because she invested all her savings in going to this university. So her uncle arranged by her 22nd birthday uh, in November that she, she was going to have an audience with the Rebbe, and she comes to the Rebbe, and she said it was remarkable. Her parents were Holocaust survivors, so she knew some Yiddish, but not a lot of Yiddish. And the Rebbe spoke to her in what people call Yinglish. English with a couple of Yiddish words mixed in, which was perfect for her. She didn't need to be, she couldn't want to understand if it was Yiddish, but English was like her style, so it really like resonated with her, the way they spoke to her. And they offered her to, sit, her to sit down. Usually Hasidim have a custom not to sit in the Rebbe's presence, but uh, she wasn't into that custom. She wasn't religious at all. She didn't realize. So she sat down, and the, um, and she, she, and the Rebbe said to her that, do you have any chametz here? No comments? Okay. The Rebbe said to her that when a, a Jew is in an environment of non-Jews, there are two possible things that may happen, two possible consequences. One consequence that may happen is 
that the Jew develops an inferiority complex. And the other is that the Jew assimilates and tries to copy the lifestyle of the non-Jews. And she said that in her life, she, when they were said to her, it resonated because uh, she knew friends of hers who were hanging around in environments of non-Jews and they felt like outsiders among all these non-Jews. They, had, they did develop this inferiority complex. And in her case, there was a, the second was more of a danger of her learning and assimilating and learning from non-Jews. And Nebuchadnezzar said to her that it would be better for her, instead of, she had had these grandiose plans of working with people who had made bad mistakes in their life and trying to help them become rehabilitated into society. So, but she was very sensitive by nature, she said, and and what she didn't realize was is that um, by engaging with these people, it would overwhelm her, just hearing about their issues and their problems and the mistakes they made in life and just the grief Anyone who has uh, visited prisons knows that it's just like you, you visit prison, you take a lot on you. So it would be too much for her, but she didn't know that. Apparently the Rebbe knew her, she said, better than she knew herself. So the Rebbe said to her, it will be better for you to work with healthy people. So she right away said, very brazenly, well, who's going to work with the sick people? If, if you say everyone should work with healthy people, who's going to work with the sick people? And the Rebbe gave her a very, very long answer. She doesn't remember one word of what the Rebbe answered her, but she did feel at the end of the whole conversation that whatever the answer was, for her, it wasn't a good idea. For Devorah Klein, her maiden name, it wasn't a good idea to work with sick people. Instead, they were told her that maybe she should go to a teacher's seminary. It was very interesting because this was the last thing that she wanted to do in her life was to be a teacher, and yet when, the, when, when she wasn't ready to have an audience with the Rebbe, just because she didn't want to have an audience the year before just because she was afraid that might, she might be told she has to become a teacher. And yet when the Rebbe said it to her, it, 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 it touched, it reached somewhere. And she realized this was really for her. And as she, when she became a teacher, she discovered they know that children are a lot more um, easier to work with, a lot more malleable, and they're able, more, and they're able to... Uh, um, change far more easily than, than adults. So it really, really uh, was advice that she needed. And she agreed. And then she asked the Rebbe, where should she go to a seminary? Should she go to Montreal or to New York? It sounds like from the way she was speaking, in the, um, her description of herself, that she was so independent and having everything spoon-fed to her wouldn't have worked. So could be, that's the reason, the Rebbe said to her, it's up to you. You decide. doesn't matter. And so right the next day after she left the Rebbe's room, she dropped out of John Hopkins University. And she was invited by a friend of hers to come for Shabbat to Far Rockaway. Her friend was studying in a seminary called Ayel Tashachar in Far Rockaway, run by Rebetzin Sarah Freifeld. And because the Freifelds were so passionate and warm, and they really believed in what they believed in, it really it really touched her. And she decided she wants to become part of the seminary, and she stayed in the seminary. And uh, this wasn't the, the her first um, uh, time that she got advice from the Rebbe, though. When she was 11 or 12, she hated school, and she was a bit of a troublemaker, and her parents asked for advice, what to do with this girl? Nebuchadnezzar said that she should become a, a leader in her classroom and try to inspire the other children. 
and she thought about this years later. It didn't at the moment like when Nebuchadnezzar said it, it didn't it didn't resonate, but she realized that she has leadership qualities, and when she speaks, people listen to her. So when she grew older, and her parents wanted her to you know to do only things that religious girls would do, and she wanted to go to join a kibbutz in Israel. So her parents said, let's ask the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said, what's wrong with Israel? And she said it was very important for her in her life. Although Israel on the surface was a time when she let go of Judaism, but really it was a very important part of her life. She said that when she was in Israel, she felt a certain kind of aliveness that she didn't feel outside of Israel, a certain kind of connection, a spiritual way to the land of Israel, although it wasn't reflected in her observance, but she really... Um, had that kind of uh, kind of connection. She says that throughout her life, even today, she recalls the time she spent in Israel, and that that means a lot to her. Today, today, her religiosity. She says she she, she draws on the on the energy and the spirituality of, of being in the land of Israel. Anyways, so she has. Thank you. So she she leaves uh, the kibbutz. She leaves John Hopkins. She joins. She becomes a teacher. And now she's 24 years old and she needs to get married. But she has a problem. She went out with 119 guys. Her sister counted. And she couldn't find the guy that was right for her. Every guy, just she didn't, didn't work. And everyone was telling her, you know, if you d- reject these people that are pretty much okay, pretty much the same kind of lifestyle as you, they may be your soulmate. If you say no, you might be losing out on your soulmate. So she didn't know what to do. She, she, she visited the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said to her that when you are in a state of doubt, you're not able to come to a decision. So the Rebbe gave her the opposite advice of what everyone else was telling her. Everyone was telling her, you have to go and accept someone right now and accept someone and connect with someone and make a decision and get engaged. But the Rebbe was telling her exactly the opposite. You should take a break and things would become clear. It all depends on you which the Rebbe told her really helped her because she didn't trust her own feelings at that time. She had been through so much that she stopped trusting her own feelings and everyone was trying to give her advice and everyone was saying, do this, do that, and she stopped trusting her own feelings. And the Rebbe said to her, it all depends on you. It made her realize that her feelings matter and her thoughts matter and decisions matter and she could make this decision and it gave her power to feel like she could do this. And then she was introduced to guy number 120 whose name was Baruch. Baruch and her did a long-distance dating. Uh, Baruch was studying yeshiva in, in, in Maristown, and they, they, because they were distant, they weren't able to do like consecutive dating, and they, they, were, they were dating for nine months, which in religious circles is a really long time. He was studying yeshiva in Maristown, and one day they have this conversation. Baruch says, you know, I'm studying in this yeshiva, I just, this yeshiva in Maristown, the Medical College of America, Baruch Shammai had the merit to study there as well. They have two tracks of study. They have a track of study for those who are born religious. They have a track of study for those who have become religious. And so Baruch, he had just started learning about Judaism, and he was learning about Judaism for less than two years. So he says to her one day as they're going out, he says, um, uh, you know, I'm only studying this for less than two years. So, um, you know, it's probably not, I'm probably not for you. And she's like, yeah, you probably aren't for me. And she went to sleep that night. She couldn't, she couldn't go to sleep. She woke up in the middle of the night and she was like all confused. 
because on the one hand, she didn't, well, it didn't, didn't really bother her that her family was so into learning and Baruch didn't learn so much Torah. It didn't bother her that much. But she felt like it should bother her and her pride like made her feel like, I can't accept someone who's not in the standard of my family's prestige of learning. That's what she was feeling. And so she didn't know what to do. So she woke up the next morning and she wrote a letter to Rebbe and asked the Rebbe what she should do. And to her surprise, Rebbe told her it's worthwhile to continue. And she got married. And actually, uh, Baruch Shemai studied in Yeshiva Marist and I got to know her uh, husband, her Baruch, uh, who st- they have a, a Chabad center in West Orange called the Shabbat House. Not the Chabad House, the Shabbat House, where, where thousands of people learned about, uh, about Shabbat. So, and she, she was teaching for many years in a modern Orthodox school. But she felt that she wasn't really doing well in the school because the school was concentrated, was built around feeding a lot of information to the students very quickly. And she felt that she needed, instead of like just pumping out information to students, but like relating to the students and cultivating their, their talents and helping them utilize their talents and, 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 and help them gain perspective and understanding instead of just like pumping information into them. And so she left the, uh, the, uh, this, this job, but she had no idea what to do next. And uh, she, um, Baruch Hashem, in, in the Chabad House in West Orange is very active. They, they, they started many things that uh, were very novel, not just to New Jersey, but to the world. Like Baruch started this thing called the Jewish Renaissance Fair, which, which attracts every year thousands and thousands of people, uh, which I had the privilege to uh, work in a couple of years. And many other uh, huge Purim events and Hanukkah events. So, so she felt like um, she should go into teaching, but on the other hand, like this is this she had, she, the way that she was teaching that school just wasn't for her. Anyways, she visited the Rebbe's Ohel. When she came to the Rebbe's Ohel, those who have been there know that there's always a video of the Rebbe playing in the Ohel. And the Rebbe is saying in the video that she was watching that the purpose of education is not just to pack information, to give information to a student, but rather it's to, so the child, the student, should utilize the knowledge and be able to integrate this knowledge in their lives so that they're able to bring justice and fairness and into the world. I was speaking not only about, about, about Jewish children, but all children. The purpose of education is the child should cultivate good character. And as I've spoken many times about the need of public schools to have a moment of silence in the beginning of the day. There was a, um, because of the the, um, rise in crime, uh, the city of New York and others, they they were trying to figure out ways to stop the crime. And what they thought, the the government thought the best thing to do was to, to, to crack down on this, crack down on that. And the Rebbe's approach was, the Rebbe said that the more important thing to do is to, instead of giving um, children the fear of punishment, which may not always work because a child may feel like, I can, I can, I can escape from the policeman. Who says the policeman will catch me? Instead, you have to instill in children this, this feeling that there's an eye that sees you, there's an ear that hears you, that God is watching you. In order to give that to the children, the Rebbe says it's very important that public schools have a moment of silence at the beginning of the day where children should ask their parents what to think about during that, during that time, that, that solemn time beginning of the day. 
And instead of people were arguing at the time when there began this campaign that America is built upon the religious freedom, separation of church and state, and Rebbe said that that's not what the Constitution means. Separation of church and state doesn't mean that there shouldn't be any mention of God in, in the classroom. On the contrary, the dollar bill, which is from the government of the United States, says in God we trust. And the whole purpose of the Constitution, of the Founding Fathers, wasn't that there shouldn't be any mention of religion. On the contrary, the Founding Fathers were very religious people. They just wanted that everyone should be able to serve God, God, they were believed in God, in their own way, in the way that they, that they believed in. So certainly the, 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 the purpose, the, the meaning of the Constitution is not that the Constitution should be this dead document that just like we have to follow blindly, but rather it's meant to be a live document that, that actually guides us and helps us to make good decisions in our government. So therefore the real meaning of the Constitution is not that there shouldn't be any mention of God, God in, in anything associated with government, rather what, this really, what, what it means is, is that the, the people should have the freedom to, to, to worship God as they want. Anyways, that was... One of the ways that the Rebbe wanted to uh, bring God into the classroom, and uh, many classrooms today, Baruch Hashem, in California, do have a uh, moment of silence before before studying. And um, so the Rebbe was talking about this that, that theme when she entered the Ohel. And she felt this was validated, all the things she was feeling. And the Rebbe also mentioned in the same talk about how uh, people feel in America, another issue in America is that when a person turns the age of 50, the age of 60, so they tell the person that you're no longer able to work, you have to retire. And what happens is when a person retires, they, they feel like they feel worthless, they feel they have no value in life. And instead of retiring, they have to feel that the opposite, as the Torah says, Rav Shem that the more years you live in the world, the more wisdom you have. And so the person who was older has actually more to give than someone who's younger. And so she had entered the, this, the Ohel on her 50th birthday. So she got such a uh, confirmation to how she was feeling. She was thinking, she, what, should, should, she, should she go back into education in a different way, in a different setting, or not? She's already 50 years old. And she's, and there was, in that talk, it says, at the age of 50, they tell you, but why are you listening to that? God put you in this world. You have a reason to be here. And the, these words of the Rebbe guide her till today, and that's why she's Baruch Hashem back into the field of education, not in the same setting that was before, it's pumping information, but in the way that she's able to share with her students and cultivate them and raise them and cultivate their perspective. So, bottom line is, that, that what I'm sharing from this whole story, is that here is this woman who was very confused, she's not religious at all, she grew up, she, know, she knows all this stuff, she became a universalist, and what the Rebbe did wasn't to you know yell at her or break her or send but but to find her her way of connecting to God in every facet of her life in the role in her profession in her marriage in her in her field of of choice and and that's the meaning of the title Rebbe the word Rebbe is an acronym for the words Reish Benesel the head of the Jewish people. But that just like the head, the mind, guides all different limbs of the body and to be what they're meant to be, so too the head of the Jewish people is sort of the nerve center of all the Jewish people and feels every Jew where they are, what they need, and is therefore able to give guidance to every neshama to where the neshama has to, uh, has to go. So as we're approaching the Rebbe's birthday, it's a great time 
to uh, write a letter to the Rebbe, send to the Ohel, ask for a blessing for whatever it may be, and to connect the Rebbe, and to connect the Rebbe's mission, the Rebbe's, that the Rebbe entrusted us and entrusts us and blesses us to do, which is to spread the Torah and Judaism through the Rebbe's ten mitzvah campaigns of Shabbos candles and kosher and tefillin and mezuzah and say for Torah. I'll tell you one more story. Like I, I have to share this with you. So, sorry, it's just, just on the same note. So everyone thinks that if you wear uh, one of these hats and you have these, uh, you wear one of these Chabad kapatas, that you must like feel like Rambo. You want to spread Torah and you always want to do the right thing. Well, not always. So last Sunday I was having an off time. I was not in that mode, whatever reason, whatever. just happened, Sunday blues, who knows. And I was sent by my wife on a mission to Western Kosher to buy 10 packages of pounded schnitzel, I think. Anyways, I got the right thing. Anyways, so I come to Western Kosher. I didn't even have my film with me. I forgot them. I usually carry them with me. And I go into Western Kosher, and there's a Jew there. And I know this Jew would say yes. I just know. But I, okay, but I'm not in the mood. And I, my, and I have to like have this existential question. Do I always do the right thing? And then I'm like, no, I don't always do the right thing, but I'm doing the right thing right now. And I asked the guy, do you want to put on tefillin? Like, yes, but oh, Baruch Hashem, Western Kosher has a pair of tefillin. You should know. Western Kosher, they have a pair of tefillin there. So I put on tefillin with him. Listen to this. I hope I convey this correctly. You know how I said to myself, I'm just going to do the right thing right now. That's the way to do things, right? Just You don't have to figure everything out. You just have to make the decision right now. It's like stealing the afikoyman. You just have to steal yourself away and say and do the right thing. So I said to the guy, after you put on tefillin, he said to me, I, should re- I really don't know what happened to me. I really don't know what happened to me. I should be doing this. I said, oh, it's very easy. Tomorrow, I'm going to call you. And I'm going to remind you to put on tefillin. Just tomorrow. Let's do this one day at a time. He says, okay. I take his number. And I call him the next day. He says, oh, thank you for reminding me. Put on tefillin. I call him the next day and the next day. This was on Sunday. And I didn't really connect with him throughout the week. But finally, I reached him on Friday. And I said, what's going on with the tefillin? He says, Rabbi, I do this in every day right now. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> so, bottom line is, is that this is in our hands. It's not something that, that you, need, you need to be have one of these, or whatever. There's a mission. The mission is to bring Mashiach. It's going to happen. It's in our time. In this we were redeemed. In this we will be redeemed. And especially, as Rebbe said clearly, this is the time for Mashiach. So it's a great time to reach out. And one of the Rebbe's 10 mitzvah campaigns, tefillin, Shabbos, kosher, education, and family purity, mezuzah. Let's make it happen. Any questions or comments?